Six seconds left. First and goal at the two. Empty backfield. Watson goes shotgun. Ball on the left hash. Wide side of the field to the right. Watson takes the snap. Rolls right. Looks to the end zone. Hunter up. Caught it. Touchdown. 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 With a second left. Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. My guest today is Edward Egros. Edward is a weekend sports anchor and reporter for Fox 4 in Dallas. He's a podcaster and a sports analytics enthusiast who has uh, given presentations to a variety of groups including the R Users Group in uh, at Dallas, at the University of Dallas, I should say, and presented a poster at the New England Symposium on Statistics in Sports, among other places. Edward has an undergraduate degree from SMU in Journalism and Economics and a master's from Northwestern University in Predictive Analytics. Edward, as I told you, uh, getting ready for this podcast, I usually joke around with the former players that they're pros at this interview game, and I'm just a rookie but in your case, it's actually true. You are a professional uh, in broadcasting. So welcome to the podcast, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for not applying any additional pressure on me, not to make any mistakes for <laughs> your audience. That, that's good. <laughs> Podcasts are all about mistakes, and uh, I, I can do editing if needed, and I've had to do that several times, typically for myself, the mistakes I made. Um so let's start out by talking about Edward has a model that predicts or has developed Edward and his cohort I shouldn't I should say has had a has developed a model that does predictive uh predicts college football games. And what we wanted to start out talking about today, Edward, is tell us about that model, what goes into it, and just all the details of the model. Um, you know, that the the metrics and statistics and analytics are are getting uh some good pub, but also there's some folks that maybe think, especially for football, that they it's very hard to predict the outcome of football games using statistics. It can be, um, but I think there is a stability when it comes to college football games that can be appreciated and sort of taken um, into a vacuum and used in such a way to predict the outcome of games, both with and without a point spread. So one of the things that uh, my buddy Charles and I worked on was uh, looking at some data that you uh, so graciously provided uh, that has uh, just a bajillion different variables uh, within the season, you know, rushing yards, rushing attempts, passing yards, opponent passing yards, and, and all that fun stuff. And so what we did was we took all of that, and we used a number of different models that involve something called variable selection. And that's a fancy way of saying – which factors within a football game really matter to the outcome and what is something that really doesn't matter to the outcome. And so we took all of this information, filtered it down to about 25 some odd variables uh, that we deem to be statistically significant. In other words, these are the factors that determine the outcome of a college football game. And there are a lot of them and, you know, going over the list gets a little ponderous, I suppose. Sure. But uh, yards per rush attempt, opponents' total yards, uh, home field advantage, uh, all, all sorts of things. A lot of them you would expect to see, and there are a couple that, that may be a little surprising, and also a couple that are surprisingly not significant when it comes to uh, determining the outcome of the game. So what we did was we looked at that list, and then we used a variety of different advanced modeling techniques to determine what had the best uh, accuracy in terms of predicting games. And so uh, we used that model to determine games for this upcoming season. And we've looked at some from the last few years. And one of the challenges in terms of the beginning of the year is a lot of this information is in-season data. So we're not going to know how many turnovers an opponent has committed and how many takeaways they've committed up to that point of the season because the season hasn't started yet. Right. So what I do when I'm doing, like, preseason predictions I look at schedules, which a lot of people do, and that's a good thing to do. And I also look at recruiting rankings. And I like uh, 247 Sports composite rankings because they seem to be the most robust and they seem to be the most accurate over time. And so 
I look at the rankings of classes and I look at schedules, and that usually gives me a pretty good idea of who is going to perform well over a long haul. Now, individual games, that gets better refined as the season goes along. But at the start of the year, the schedule and recruiting rankings do the best job for me in terms of determining who's going to win. Okay, that's interesting because I was I, my first thought when you were talking about the the factors that that impact uh, wins and losses. I was wondering if there was any one or two uh, that stood out, whether it's yards per play, yards per rush, whatever it may be. Is there anything in your mind that stands out? Well, I don't know if there's anything that really stands out per se. I think there are certain uh, trends that that are important in terms of. Uh, defensively, how robust a defense is. In other words, uh, you know, are you stopping the run? Are you stopping the pass? How well are you limiting scoring? Um, you know, a lot of that really comes into play. And I think one of the, the trends that we have seen, and this isn't necessarily an NFL trend, this is specifically with college football, is that those defenses that do the best job limiting scores, forcing offenses to become inefficient, yeah, they can get a, yard, a lot of yards, but is a kind of a bend-but-don't-break situation. Um, what we've seen over time is that the number one ranked defense, uh, you know, in terms of advanced defensive metrics, either win the national championship or are competitive for the national championship. Alabama is always up there. Uh, Clemson has an outstanding defense year in and year out, and that's certainly, uh, you know, borne out in terms of uh, how well they performed the last few years. So sometimes that can be a little bit more reliable and, you know, sort of spot-checking this list. Uh, you still have to be outstanding offensively. Don't get me wrong. You still need to have dynamic play calling. Um, you still need to be able to uh, run the ball effectively. But defensively, sometimes you can put a little bit more weight on that. Yeah, and I think for Clemson fans, that is when this team be, went from a – 11 and 2, 10 and 3 type team to a national championship contender is when the defensive line uh, became stacked with Christian Wilkins and Austin Bryan and Cleveland Farrell and Dexter Lawrence. That's when this team made that jump from pretty good to national title contender. And we also see some of that in the Big 12. You know, they have prolific offenses, but they don't have prolific defenses and they haven't been a player in the national championship. Of course, Oklahoma was last year, but in general, uh, they've struggled, uh, stopping other teams. I think another factor that everybody talks about, and this part of it is coach speak. And so I'm interested what your model shows. Uh, other, uh, analytics guys I've talked to said that turnovers are, uh, unpredictable. Um, what is your what is your model show? Is is turnover something you can predict at least partially? It would seem like fumb- I always explain this to my son like this: a fumble may go out of bounds, or if it takes a bad bounce, you know, it, maybe it goes back in bounds or stays in bounds. And because he's, I'm trying to teach him about the randomness of turnovers sometimes. But it seems like, for instance, quarterbacks a certain quarterback may throw more interceptions. That seems to be less random. Am I totally off base there? I I think you hit the nail on the head. I think when it comes to turnovers, you know, design can certainly help a little bit. Fundamentals can certainly help in terms of ball strip, things like that. But you're absolutely right. I, I would never venture to guess how well a team is going to do in terms of the turnover margin because some good defenses just can't get takeaways to save their lives. And I think especially at the college level, you have guys who may not know when to try and scoop and score or just fall in a ball, or if the ball takes an odd bounce, what to do with it, or if a quarterback throws a ball, hits the receiver in the midst, but it bounces for a pick, well, that's certainly not the quarterback's fault, but he is charged with the interception because that's how statistics are kept in football. So there are a lot of different things that make turnovers so uncertain and so volatile that, yes, they absolutely matter in terms of the outcome of a football game, but I would never venture a guess as far as who's going to do well or who's going to do poorly. Now, one of the things that I think is fair to do is look at turnover margin from the prior year and perhaps make a statistical assumption that that is not going to be consistent the following year. And I think in large part that's been relatively true uh, over time where – 
if you have done uncharacteristically well with the turnover margin the prior year, it's not going to be with you that next year. And so say you're a team out of the blue that's either in championship contention or in the conversation for championship contention, and it's because you have all of these takeaways. Well, it's probably not going to be there the following year. So you need to supplement that either with more talent, uh, better coaching, whatever it may, whatever it might be. Otherwise, those are the teams that I circle and say, okay, I am not as bullish on them because it was sort of that flash in a pan. I think we have a recent example of, of that last year in the ACC. As a matter of fact, Miami. I don't yep. remember the exact number, but they were plus 28 maybe in turnovers. It was some crazy number, uh, and, and their fans should not – who knows if they win all 12 regular season games again. I doubt that. Just going undefeated two years in a row is difficult. But when those turnovers, I wouldn't expect plus 28 or whatever number they had last year. You know, conversely, and I've talked to some Clemson players about this, that 2015 Clemson team that entered the national championship game 14-0, and I don't know if you knew this, but they won five games during that run, minus two in turnovers. Wow. Um, yeah. And, well, they actually won a six, but the other one was uh, against a one a one double eighteen, and I didn't include that. I don't include those in the in the uh, games that you that you use for your right. for your model. And nor do we. Correct. Yeah. So, it, and I calculated it out, and I'm not a mathematician and and don't have the expertise that you have, but it was like a one in two hundred fifty thousand odds that you're going to win five games minus two in turnovers. It was incredible. Wow. So. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy number, and and I tended to include in my uh, basic model, and I'm by basic I mean I'm sure not the the uh, statistician that you are an analyst, I guess I should say, but um, I included turnovers. But then I did. I talked to uh, to someone who is actual uh, statistician. He told me, and he said you can't. They're so random, it just messes up your model, and and that, so that's the way I go. Now I just I leave it out. Actually, I leave all the predict predicting to guys like you now because you're you're much much more advanced than I am. So let's sure. let's let's talk about the 2018. By the way, I looked at uh, Miami plus 13 turnover margin last year, uh, by far the best in the ACC. Wow, that's not that's not as, as high as I thought. That's still won a game, uh, just about won a game, but it's not as high as I thought. Um, and Clemson, I think, if I remember correctly, was right around even or minus one or plus one, somewhere in that range. So the just totally different. And I guess that's a that's another good um, that's another good point. When you have a prolific offense, Clemson didn't last year, but in previous years they did. When you have such a prolific offense, you can make up for some of those turnovers. Uh-huh. If you're getting totally, you know, if you're you're outgaining your opponent, let's say by 150 yards per game, you can afford maybe a turnover of course depending on when and where it happens but uh anyway so turnovers are random and it's not something used in your model uh let's look at the most of most of the folks that are going to listen to this are Clemson fans uh so let's take a gander at the ACC in 2018 and see what your model comes up with everything i've read uh and everything i've written too has you know Put Clemson at the top of the ACC with maybe you know a little a little love for some of the other teams like the typical Florida State and Miami and the occasional team. What does your model show us or predict for the ACC in 2018? So when I'm looking at just specifically the ACC as far as trends are concerned, safe to say the winner of the ACC goes to the playoff. That that I think is a you know, pretty safe to say because. You want your conference to be good. You don't want it to be too good because if it gets to be too good and you've got too many traps along the way, then your winner could wind up with two losses, and that, that's almost a death nail when it comes to uh, possibly making the playoff. And so I think the ACC structurally is in great shape to have its champion, but only one team, uh, but its champion making the playoff. And so to me – I, I come down to three teams that, that have a shot at this, and I really don't uh, take anyone else seriously, but I say it's three teams. Clemson, obviously. You know, they may have the best chance of any team in America to make the playoff. Um, I look at Miami still, even though the turnover margin was high for them and that they may come back down to reality, uh, I think Miami is still a serious contender. 
And the third team that I know you've talked about a lot in your lifetime, but I think it's worth bringing up again, is Florida State. I I really believe that Florida State, even with a first-year head coach, can do some serious damage in this conference. So when I look at recruiting rankings, the two biggest classes that seem to matter the most are your sophomore class and your junior class. The freshmen have not had enough time to really make a considerable impact. And, yes, there are exceptions to this, but in large part, freshmen just don't have uh, the time or the seasoning to really make a major impact. Um, seniors don't seem to either because, if you think about it, you can get out in three years, and your best players tend to get out after three years. And so the senior class as a whole, because they're there an extra year, maybe they you know, they are finally starting, but they may not necessarily have as big of an impact as, say, these super talented sophomores and juniors who are finally getting playing time. So I look at your second and third year classes as those to be uh, the most significant. And out of the composite rankings that I have from 247 Sports, the best classes from the ACC have gone to Florida State. And so, yes, you're dealing with a different system under Willie Taggart, but he's had some success before in his career. And it seems like his assistant coaches – understand what his mindset is going to be offensively. And so you don't have to worry about organizationally having one head coach who does one thing and an assistant doing something else. Florida State has the structure there to be competitive and to be competitive right away. So that's the first thing when it comes to recruiting. The second thing that I do is I look at all all three schedules for Clemson, Miami, and Florida State. And I would immediately throw away Miami because – the first thing that I look at is not so much who's home and away. I look at days of the week, and I look at if somebody is playing a game that isn't on a Saturday, because it seems to be when a lot of those upsets occur, uh, those Thursday night games or those Friday games. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why, why I think Alabama really hasn't been as challenged as, say, it should have been by this point, because they never play on Thursday or Friday or hardly ever. Their games are always on Saturday. They're always at a time that is convenient because it's prime time or a a highly viewed uh, TV window, uh, as we say in the biz. But I I think it's why, you know, Alabama has has not had near the hiccups that, say, other teams have had. So I look at what Miami has to deal with, and they have two uh, games that are not on on Saturday. Um, Well, season opener is Sunday against uh, LSU. That's fine. It's a neutral game. They should be fine there. In a short week to get Savannah State, no problem there. But uh, you move on down the list. Uh, Thursday, September 27th, at home against North Carolina. That could pose a problem for them. There could be a hiccup there. It's certainly possible. Then after that, you get Florida State. That'll be an interesting contest. And then a couple of weeks later, a Friday night game at Boston College. BC is underrated as far as I'm concerned. You know, they're not a national title or an ACC contender in my mind, but... I wouldn't, I wouldn't put BC uh, as sort of a bad situation there for Miami. I mean, I think BC has a shot there. I, so, I would, I would agree yeah. with you. I, I, you know, a few years ago in the Friday, the inaugural Friday night ACC game, I think uh, BC and Florida State ended up. It was a crazy game. It ended up like fifteen to nothing or something, uh-huh. and they were in the game. It was seven nothing in the in I think either late in the third or early in the fourth. So they were in the game. We know Clemson lost to Syracuse. Now Kelly right. Bryant was hurt, but that was a Friday night game. I hate the Friday night games as a Clemson you fan. Hate the Friday night game. <laughs> well, you know it's funny because when the schedule came out this year. The Clemson fans, it wasn't over. We knew who we were playing. It was just a matter of when. But the biggest thing for Clemson fans that looked is that no Thursday, no Friday. Every game's on a Saturday. Thank goodness. That's huge. That's huge. And it's why I have some real questions about Miami. You've got the turnover margin we mentioned before. And they have both a Thursday game at home and a Friday game on the road at a tough environment uh, up in Boston. And plus – you know, it's late October in Boston, you know, that, that could also uh, pose some issues for, you know, the warm weather guys uh, down uh, <laughs> down south in South Florida. No so doubt. all of that, you know, long travel. I mean, that, there's a lot there that I would feel like uh, puts Miami on upset alert by that point. Um, but when looking at the rest of the schedules, um, 
you know, Florida State does not have this problem. All of their games are on a Saturday. And they get to host Clemson on October 27th. So I, I would take Florida State very seriously in this conference. I really would. Interesting. I, I think uh, most folks, most Clemson fans at least that I talk to, have the same reservations uh, that I have. And, it, you know, and it could it could go either way. If you think about the coaching change, it, it could be a positive. You know, maybe it's new. It's something different. It's not the same old Jimbo, you know, routine. Um, it's something new and fresh, and maybe they're perhaps they're excited about the season. It's, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of the great unknown. I don't know if they're going to struggle because, as you said, it's a new system, if they're going to be rejuvenated because it's a new system. I think it's it's the great unknown, but we shouldn't just overlook a trip to Tallahassee. And, and Clemson fans, I think, to some extent at least, have started to do that. Oh, it's Florida State, you know. Oh, we, they can't block our defense. And, you know, that's that's easy to say in August and July, and uh, but we'll see, as you said, what happens at the end of October. So what about their schedule? Is there, Florida State, is there any stumbling blocks, you said? They play all on Saturdays. Do you see anybody, perhaps besides Clemson, along their schedule that could give them a, a problem specifically in the ACC I'm talking about? Well, I mean, of course, Miami, you know, I mentioned why, you know, I have reservations about saying Miami has a, has a legit chance of making the playoff and winning the conference. But uh, Florida State does have to go to Miami uh, October 6th. And so, you know, how well has this system uh, been put together? How well do these guys gel? I mean, there's still, you know, some issues there. So, I mean, that that could certainly pose a challenge. Um, but as far as the rest of uh, you know, September, I mean, you open with Virginia Tech, you know, that could get interesting. Uh, Monday night game, and then, uh, you know, Syracuse is away. You know, what is that going to mean? Uh, you know, you've got Louisville a couple of weeks after that. But, you know, I, I'm i a firm believer uh, in what Louisville used to have. Um, you know, now they don't. So, you know, are they going to come back down to reality? So I, I look at that and go, I don't see the stumbling blocks going up to the Miami game uh, for Florida State. And if they're able to, to get some real momentum, then uh, they may have an undefeated record uh, coming up to the Clemson game. And then we'll really see uh, who the best is. Boy, that would be uh, just a huge, huge game if, if both of those teams were undefeated heading into uh, uh, late October, actually, as you said, the 27th. Um, so it is for your model or for you, it's Clemson, Florida State, and Miami. It's basically a three-team race, two in one division and one in the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting, interesting uh, take. And I, you know, for, for what it's worth, I kind of agree with that. And I put out, and we'll get to this in a second when I talk to you about the, the national trends or the playoff committee and what you, what trends you see there. But I, I'm thinking, if Urban stays at Ohio State, we're looking at Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Because I think Miami showed me last year they weren't ready to play with Clemson in the ACC championship game. I think Clemson gets past Florida State. I'm not sure how right now, but I, I think they're a better team. I think they're a better defense and probably the better offense. Saying that today, I don't know, as you said, what, what it's going to be like in at the end of October. So let's talk a little bit about the playoff committee. I, I just mentioned four teams that I thought were gonna was going to that the four that are gonna be there in the playoff. I think if Urban leaves Ohio State, that's another situation. You know, does that energize them to, you know, us against the world or does it deflate them? I went with Washington, uh, if Urban doesn't stay at uh Ohio State. Um some people thought I was crazy, some thought I was a genius, you know how that goes, right? <laughs> So what does your – talk about the playoff committee and any trends you see happening um, in the short history of the playoff committee. Sure. Well, I think you mentioned Washington, and the Pac-12 is in an interesting spot because it can be very competitive, um, and perhaps it's a little bit too competitive because they play a lot of games, you know, at all odd days and hours, and uh, I believe they do have that extra conference game. Uh, that most others don't have, and sometimes that can pose additional problems. And sometimes they have non-conference games that put them in major disadvantages. 
Um, I can remember a couple of years ago, Stanford had a phenomenal team, but they had the season opener on the road at Northwestern. And it was, I think, an 11 a.m. kickoff for Northwestern, which meant 9 a.m. West Coast. Mm. And somehow Stanford was supposed to be ready to play, and they weren't. Northwestern won that game. Now, the were not a bad team that year, but Stanford should have won that uh, in any other given situation. And so, you know, it's funny. Last year, the Pac-12, you know, had no chance of sending anybody to the playoffs. And I'm starting to think that this is a trend with the Pac-12 where they structurally put themselves at a major disadvantage now, sometimes a team like Washington will come out and they're, they're just too dominant. I think this Washington team is great too. Uh, you know, Stanford can be good. I like USC still. Uh, I know they've had a quarterback change, but I still like, uh, what they've put together. Um, you know, they always produce quarterbacks. That program is just good at that. Um, right. so yeah, I mean, there are a few teams there that I really do like. Um, uh, but I think the conference put themselves, puts themselves at a disadvantage that, um, if, if you were asking me this second, if I would put a Pac-12 team in the 14 playoff, or do I predict that to happen? I would say no. I, I think there are just too many disadvantages that they put themselves in, despite the strength that they have overall. So that, that's one thing I would say as far as the West Coast is concerned. Um, big, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you look at Washington's schedule, I'm sure you have, they play Auburn mm-hmm. to open, which I right. think is, is probably going to be a loss for Washington. But I'm not sure, sure who, who else beats them. Now, I didn't take into account all the factors that you just mentioned, and maybe I need to go back and rewrite that article. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take – I didn't. I, you know, I know about the schedule. You're right. They're playing at 11 o'clock at night Central Time, you know, usually 9 o'clock West Coast Time, odd days. Odd, you know, they have Friday nights, cause it, or at least they did, because they had to deal uh-huh. with Fox Sports. Um, so they do play at weird times and, and days. Uh, but I just I can't see anybody that's going to beat Washington. I you know just looking at the schedule, obviously injuries and things could happen during the season. Maybe Utah. So, mm-hmm. but I had to, I took a instead of going completely chalk, um, I decided to go with Washington again. That's if Urban's not at Ohio State, because right. um, I I just think if Urban's there, they're going to be angry as heck and pound pound everybody. So. Sure. Um, we'll, you mentioned you mentioned uh, the extra conference game. That's also something the Big Twelve does, right? They they play yeah. everybody. They, they play, play everybody, and then their Big Twelve championship game uh, has a repeat game. Now, I, I am of the ilk, and you know this is not cliche, and it goes against what a lot of people believe. But I feel like the team that wins the first matchup should be favored in the second matchup. I don't like this idea of well, it's really hard to beat a team twice. Now, if you you beat a team well the first time, then I like your chances the second time. You're just better than they are. And this notion of back and forth, I think, is is silly, and we need to stop that. But, um, yeah, so you have that – you play everybody, and then you have to play somebody again, somebody really good again. And it worked for Oklahoma in terms of proving to the committee that they really belonged uh, where they did. And – you know, they looked great against Georgia. You know, things kind of fell apart towards the end. But, you know, Baker Mayfield proved to be a legit quarterback in the Rose Bowl in the Big 12 championship game, and now he is where he is. So, yes, the Big 12, you know, did put themselves at a disadvantage when TCU and Baylor were 5-6 and six in the playoff rankings and got left out. But they they seem to have relatively remedied that. So, you know, the, the contenders there, Oklahoma, Texas, TCU – West Virginia is a dark horse. Don't, you know, they may have the most stable quarterback situation in all of the Big 12. Uh, you know, you could see one of those making the playoff uh, very easily. I just, you know, I know you're in Dallas and, and I live in the Austin area. So I, I see a lot of Big 12 football and it's, you never know what you're going to get from week mm-hmm. to week. I mean, Texas loses to Maryland then almost beats Southern Cal then loses to, you know, Iowa State, then almost beats Oklahoma. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. it is a crazy topsy-turvy conference um, that you never know. I It's going to be hard to see some team coming undefe- going through that undefeated. And I was thinking as I was saying that, are you a believer in Oklahoma with the new quarterback? Kyler Murray? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I hope my Big 12 brethren don't get mad at me, but 
Uh, I, I'm taking the field over Oklahoma. I really am. I, I think there are too many teams that could dethrone them, and I think we're forgetting just how good Baker Mayfield was. Absolutely. And quarterback play perhaps matters more in the Big 12 than it does in any other major conference in America. A lot of guys, you know, the Sooners really relied upon it, made it go, that they're not going to have this year. Uh, whereas Texas, they lost a lot of close games that I don't expect they will the following year. Uh, Will Greer for West Virginia, uh, mentioned him already, the quarterback. I mean, he, you know, he could be a Heisman contender. So West Virginia is in great shape and it's very hard to win, uh, when West Virginia has the home field advantage. So there are enough teams there for me to say, and, and, you know, never forget TCU. I mean, they're vastly underrated every single year. Um, there are enough teams there for me to say yes. I, I like one of them to come through and get past Oklahoma. I, I completely agree. Um, Baker Mayfield, I, I think people are underselling what he meant to that team. If that's even possible, uh, Heisman Trophy, number one, top draft pick. But I think um, Kyler Murray, this is one thing I said, color me skeptical about a quarterback that hasn't played a meaningful snap since 2015, I believe, uh-huh. and – has got a million dollar MLB contract, you know, sitting behind him. Is he going to be willing to stick his nose in there when he needs to? Like we knew Baker Mayfield would, right? He's going to right. do everything he can and sacrifice his body to get that first down or get that touchdown. Is the same, you know, I, the intangibles is something that that I don't think you can predict for Kyler Murray. He was fine at Texas A&M as a freshman, but he couldn't beat out. The other guy, whose name I can't remember, and that ought to be a clue, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he transferred to Oklahoma. Um, so if you can't beat out a quarterback at Texas A&M, and I can't remember his name, I, I and it's been two years since he played, I, you know, right. I'm not, I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Let's move over a little bit and talk about the uh, the Big Ten. Um, this is a conference that routinely gets shut out in college football playoff. Clemson, of course, over Ohio State, and I believe Alabama and, and Michigan State—the most recent examples. What do you? What's your take on the Big Ten? So yes, I think the Urban Meyer situation is going to have a lot to do with uh, the landscape of the Big Ten. I think uh, I think Michigan is one of those teams that I'm going to watch very carefully and see what they're capable of. Um, you know, Wisconsin, you know, came very very close. We'll see what they're capable of. Um, you know, Penn State is an interesting case, but to me, you know, we're not talking about Michigan enough. And I know, you know, when Jim Harbaugh came onto the scene, he, he attracted a lot of attention as well. He should. And a couple of those defenses that he had were unbelievable, just spectacular. Some of the best we've seen out of the Big Ten. And, you know, yes, Ohio State has also produced some great defenses, but Michigan went toe to toe with them. You know, they had some great defenses too. And this seems like the first year we're not really talking about Michigan seriously because they've lost enough guys. You know, Ohio State seems to be attracting a lot of attention. A number of other teams in the Big Ten have risen to the top and have, you know, been in contention for the playoff uh, for the Big Ten championship. But to me, Michigan deserves a lot more attention. And if there is a dark horse, it's it's weird to call – you know, a program that has uh, just about as many wins as anybody in the history of the sport, a dark horse. But I would consider Michigan a dark horse. I really would. So you think maybe they – and I don't even recall off the top of my head who's who's traveling to what, Ohio State and Michigan. Um, so uh, I don't think Michigan – I think Michigan opens with Notre Dame. Uh-huh. That should That's be right. a, a week one um, separator. I won't call it an elimination game because obviously uh-huh. – Theoretically, they could either one could run the table and, and still have a shot to playoff. Yeah, at Notre Dame, but on a Saturday night. So, Michigan's won at Notre Dame many times before. So, it'd yeah, be an interesting one. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. And uh, I, you know, until the Big Ten proves it to me in a playoff game, and they could, Ohio State certainly could. Or I'm not a big believer. Ohio State, by the way. Okay, so I would favor Ohio State there. Um, um, not that Michigan could win the game, but you know, the big a Big Ten team could theoretically get into the playoff and win a game, but I, I have a hard time believing it. Um, what, what's your thoughts on someone like Wisconsin, for example? Getting a lot of love preseason, I'm not a believer. Well, it, and, and I think 
I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, Wisconsin was one of those teams that sort of put it all together and had a very easy schedule. And so because they surprise people, all of a sudden we think that they're a stable uh, situation. And not that they aren't. I mean, they've, they've done very well over the last several years. But I think to sort of expect that year in and year out where they didn't stumble until the very end, um, I'm not sure that is a reasonable expectation to make right now. And so I'm with you. I, I you know, Not that Wisconsin can't have a great year. But to be a playoff contender might be a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I was going to add on. I'm not saying they won't be 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 even, but when it comes down to it, I don't think they're going to be, um, you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to be a playoff contender. Or if they make it to the playoffs by getting through the Big Ten, I don't think they're going to beat whoever they face, um, which I expect would be Alabama or Clemson. There's this logic that I heard a good bit last year, and I think we were all expecting Wisconsin to do very well because of how easy the schedule was for the Badgers. But there was this notion of, okay, well, they go undefeated, they're going to be healthy, and then they get to the Big Ten championship game and then watch out. I don't like that rationale at all. (laughs) It, It doesn't make sense to me because eventually you have to play somebody really good, and even the really good teams are going to come ready to go in a championship situation. So... Yeah, sometimes you can be underrated and then still be more legit than, say, what the schedule could show you to be. But in the case of Wisconsin, you know, when they were playing Ohio State, no, the Buckeyes were considerably better. And, you know, you have to respect the better teams and not sort of think that some lucky situation will happen in a game that everybody's going to be prepared for. I just don't buy that. Right, and another thing I thought of was look, I did look at the Wisconsin schedule because of all the love they were getting. They traveled to to Iowa. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but I think in the last four or five trips they, you know, haven't won by more than two or three points, and they've lost a couple of couple of times out of Iowa. So, you know, for whatever that's worth, college football is hard to tell. You get a new team every, you know, every four years. You've got an entirely new team. Um, and a certain percentage, obviously, every year is new. So, but that's something. If you go back and look at Iowa and Wisconsin, Wisconsin struggles playing at Iowa. The one team we haven't talked about, except for just a smidgen there about Michigan, is Notre Dame. My mm-hmm. dentist, my dentist is a Notre Dame grad. And I just saw him <laughs> last week. <laughs> I just saw him last week, and um, you know he's hopeful for this season. I look at Notre Dame's schedule, and this is what he and I were talking about. It's not the killer schedule that Notre Dame usually has. They have Michigan at the front, as we talked about. They have mm-hmm. Southern Cal at the end, but in mm-hmm. between. It doesn't seem like the typical Notre Dame killer schedule to me. What do you think about the Fighting Irish this year? Well, because they play one fewer game than everybody else or virtually everybody else, that has always led me to a real concern given how much the playoff committee likes an additional game and how much they like uh, a strength of schedule. Now, what Notre Dame does have in its favor is the committee seems to be far more comfortable with traditional powerhouses they're not as comfortable and and now granted like the first time the rankings are revealed or you know a few of those november rankings that seem to shake things up yeah you'll see you know a random team there that you don't normally see and and that's going to happen again this year because that's just the trend but they do tend to like the blue bloods at the end of the day at the end of the season and so notre dame is a humongous name you know you're going to get a lot of fan support you know, Brian Kelly will field a good team this year. And so on the one hand, because of their tradition, Notre Dame should be taking should be taken seriously. But on the other hand, because, you know, there isn't a conference championship, that they don't have that extra game like everybody else, they are already going to be at a major disadvantage. And so I, I hate to venture this right now because too much can happen, but I think – for Notre Dame to make the playoff, they have to go undefeated. I don't know if a one-loss Notre Dame team, at least this year, can make the playoff. Maybe in some years they can when there's just a ton of uncertainty and you have the ultimate chaos that we are expecting to happen at some point with this playoff structure. I'm not sure that happens this year. And there are just enough games for me to say, okay, I don't know if they can survive all of these. There's yeah. got to be a hiccup somewhere. 
you're reading my mind because that was going to be my next question is would they have to go undefeated? Um, and I kind of put in my my summary that they could get in depending on who they were competing against. In other words, they're competing against an SEC team, forget it. You know, uh-huh. if a one-loss Notre Dame and a one-loss SEC team, for example, or maybe an undefeated SEC team like Georgia that lost to Alabama in the conference championship game, Notre Dame's not getting in over, over those guys. If they're competing with, let's say, a Michigan that they'd beaten earlier in the season, then maybe they have a, a better chance. But I'm I'm completely with you. It's kind of the double-edged sword, right? Their schedule's a little bit easier, so they have a chance to maybe get through with one loss. But then there's the conundrum, is, is that good enough for them, the schedule good enough for them to be considered, you know, for a playoff? Probably not. I, we're, we're right on – Right in agreement on that one for sure. Um, and, identity, and I would identity. also add too. Uh, sorry, I would also add too that uh, when you look at their recruiting rankings for their sophomore and junior classes, going back to that notion, uh, for the sophomore class they rank tenth best in America. For 2016, they're fifteenth best in America. So I look at that and go, okay, Notre Dame can be very, very good. But do they have enough talent to overwhelm everybody to where if they're having a bad day, can they still win the football game? I'm just not sure if I buy that for every single game. And if there is that one loss, it's going to be a very, very tough challenge for them to get in. Now, you mentioned the trend of uh, the committee going with the Blue Bloods at the end of the day. Earlier in the season, maybe, you know, creating some discussion by having teams in there that aren't typically there or aren't Blue Bloods. What other trends, if any, do you see with the college football playoff committee? Boy, that's a good question because uh, they, they do keep things ambiguous enough to where it's hard to find too many trends. But, I mean, until this past year, they really weren't comfortable with having two teams from the same conference making the playoff. And I think in large part they don't want to do that. They have mentioned, too, at the very start of this whole thing, they wanted to promote geographic diversity which was one of the reasons why I wasn't sure that Alabama was going to be that that four seed from last year because Ohio State would have promoted that geographic diversity. Ohio State did win its conference, and yet they still picked Alabama anyway. Now, Alabama wound up winning the whole thing because I think they resorted to the eyeball test a little bit more. And I, I say that in quotation marks because there were certainly metrics that said, yes, Alabama was not only better than Ohio State, they were the best in the country. Enough metrics were there to validate the eyeball test, sure. Um, but in my mind, at the end of the day, it was Alabama just looked better than Ohio State. And so they got in, and it turned out to be the right decision because they won the whole thing. I I do believe that there is an eyeball test uh, that, that goes into how the committee picks things. Now, they get a lot of metrics, and I think they do use them uh, enough to where they serve a purpose. But... I, I still think at, at the end of the day, they want to see that physicality. They want to see bigger guys making better plays, looking the part, if there is a, no other way to put it. And you know Alabama does that every single year. Even when they seem a little down, they always look the part. And so if there is a way to quantify looking the part, then you can certainly add a couple of percentage points uh, to whatever uh, you have in terms of a metric for predicting who makes the playoff. Yeah, that's the geographic diversity thing made me smile because Clemson and Georgia are about 75 miles apart, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Alabama's not too far. You know, it's only Oklahoma. Uh, no, we could do that drive in a day. You would, yeah, yeah well, it, it's very it's very easy to go from Athens to Clemson. Uh, uh, that's a it's a great trip both ways. So um, lots of fun, and and that looks like that may happen again this year. You know, who knows about Georgia? But just just thinking through it, I. I think Georgia and Clemson are, are there probably, of course, depending on what happens in the uh, SEC championship game. Likely mm-hmm. Alabama, so you could have three of the four same teams. Um, I don't. We neither one of us believe Oklahoma's going to make it. Um, so maybe only one different team um, mm-hmm. uh, out of the four. And I guess that's a question for me to you. As uh, I'm a Clemson fan, I'm biased. I'd love to see Clemson and Alabama in there again, and Georgia too, who's a traditional Clemson rival. From an outsider's perspective, you're not a fan of one of those four teams or three teams that are that seem to be there almost every year, especially Clemson and Alabama. 
What do you think about that? Is it old and tired and you want to see something new, or you just, being an analytics guy, do you just say, hey, let the best teams be there no matter who they are year after year after year? I'm fine with the best teams being there. And I, I also look at other sports, and I find that the sports that tend to be the most popular have dynasties. And, you know, they, they peak in popularity when the dynasties are playing well. We don't necessarily talk about baseball, for instance, right now, because there's no one team for us to be galvanized for or against. But we sure talked about baseball a lot in the late 90s and early 2000s when the New York Yankees were winning all of those World Series. That, that was must-see TV for those World Series and, and those postseasons. Um, basketball uh, is on an uptick because, in large part, um, LeBron James with Cleveland when he was with Miami, those were dynasties in some way, shape, or form. The Warriors and what they're doing now is, is incredible, and we're paying attention to them because whenever they're on television, we want to see if somebody's going to knock them off or if they're going to continue being dominant. You either love them or hate them. And Alabama is exactly that same way. You either love them because they've become so dominant or you hate them because they are dominant and you think that somebody needs to knock them off the perch. I mean, when Clinton beat Alabama in that championship game, not only was it a phenomenal game, but it was that one moment where we saw the big bad boys of Alabama being taken down a peg. And there was something rewarding about that for a lot of people outside of, of the state of South Carolina. So I think it's good for the sport to have at least one team that is constantly there. I think it's bad when it's the same group of teams always there. Like if it's the exact same four that make it every single year, then I think that that's a problem. But, I mean, Texas could come out of the Big 12 as the champion and then make the playoff. That, that could certainly happen. Uh, we've mentioned Florida State's chances in the ACC. That could certainly happen. Uh, you know, and there are others. Uh, you know, Michigan, Penn State, you know, any one of those teams could, you know, come in and take that Big 10 playoff spot, so to speak. So it's I, – I think that's a good mix of not being totally random but also not being the exact same teams over and over again. So I like where college football is in that regard. Yeah, it's interesting as a as a Clemson fan and someone that went to school there, um, it, we're turning from the darling of college football a few years ago to one of the more hated teams, you know. Uh -huh. um, it, it's when you come close to one year and you just missed it, then you break through the next year. You're like the darling. Everybody loves you. It's it's great. You you know you can do no wrong. Well, you're back the next year, <laughs> and then you start. There's a there's a certain point where you you know you go past and you're hated, right? Uh -huh. And I I think Clemson is getting there. It'll be interesting oh, yeah. if this is the fourth. If they make it to the playoff for the fourth straight year, you know, will that all of a sudden? all of a sudden turn. You know, you mentioned the other stuff on your website, and for everybody listening, uh, Edward's website is InsideSportsAnalytics.com, just like it sounds, and I'll put that in the uh, in the show notes. And he is on Twitter at, at Edward Egros, and that's E-G-R-O-S, Fox 4, um, on Twitter. I looked at your website. It has all kinds of videos and information out there, so... If anyone is a fantasy sports fan, you may want to check out some of Edward's videos. Um, how do you find time to do all this, Edward? <laughs> uh, I have no social life outside. No, uh, <laughs> no, I, I you make time uh, here and there. You know, it's one of those things I kind of wedge it here and there, and you know, sometimes it's a late night. Uh, I don't sleep very much. I do love iced coffee. Um, I, I know at least like a dozen places I could recommend for iced coffee around the Dallas area, so I have that going for me. In fact, I'm finishing a, a cup right now, making another one a little later. It's you know, kind of what I do. But, you know, it, it's really one of those things where I think about this stuff all the time, and sometimes an idea inspires me to write something or to chat with someone I know, and then it turns into a blog article or a podcast. And I think the best way I – can describe my time management skills involve just saying that I'm always curious, I'm always looking out for random things, I'm always trying to find new and unusual ways to think about a problem, whether it is predicting the college football playoff or trying to figure out 
who the best golfers are and who, you know, does well at a particular golf course. I love golf analytics, and so that's something I'm always thinking about. But I think as long as the curiosity is always there and you're always trying to find new ways to solve a problem, then it inspires material, and then I'm able to knock it out. Yeah, very similar to to me. I, I get the I get a similar question a lot, and you know, how do you track all these games, and why do you do this, and where do you find the time? Well, I don't sleep a lot. It's something we have in common. <laughs> and uh, when I started this, I had a young son, so I was up mm-hmm. middle of the night a lot of times, or early in the morning, or you know, all hours of the day with with the kid. So it's just kind of mushrooms from there. It's become a labor of love and. And you know, as someone told me, those are that's the best kind of labor. Uh, mm-hmm. When you when you love something and you just do it, not not for any um, any reward other than than doing it. So I I can uh, certainly relate to what you're doing. I thought your videos were great because I watched um, I watched one I think on Dak Prescott and his fantasy uh, potential this year, and it was like two and a half minutes. Perfect. You know, you're not spending 30 minutes talking about his shoes or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. You're hitting right to the point, like two and a half minutes or even less than that. It was just a great video. So if you're a fantasy sports nut, you love uh, analytics. Edward's site is the place to go. Um, all kinds of free information there. He, as I said in the intro, he he goes to uh, symposiums and presents uh, articles and shows posters, all kinds of things. Um, and he uses the 5,000 uh, game database that I've created that's on Seldom Use Reserve. Edward, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been a joy talking to you, talking football. It's that time of year, um, and I appreciate the insight you provide. I'm going to share some of your stuff uh, during the season on your, your predictions for Clemson specifically and perhaps the ACC and national uh, predictions to keep everybody involved because – Clemson fans are planning on going to the playoffs. So mm-hmm. um, thank you for your time today, um, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Pleasure's all mine. Yeah, the uh, mileage for getting to the playoff uh, and going across the country is going to be a little bit more expensive this year. So uh, plan judiciously, Clemson fans. Hey, I'm having a hard time just making it to Texas uh, A&M, not because, <laughs> not, not because of the mileage, but because of the price. I don't know if you saw my Twitter post yesterday uh, over the weekend. Oh, it's it ridiculous. Three tickets for ten grand. How about that? Um, and that's what A&M is doing now with all these investments with the, the Jimbo Fisher hire. I mean, the hotel is like a hundred grand a room for, for game nights and stuff. I mean, what they're doing is outrageous, but... People are paying for it, and, you know, Jimbo has done a pretty good job. It's just a matter of can he dethrone Nick Saban after a few years. And so that'll be a big question if this investment's worth it. Well, maybe we'll be here next year talking about Jimbo uh, dethroning uh, Nick. So thank you for your time, Edward. I look forward to talking to you soon. Appreciate everything. Watson hits Renfro, and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history.